This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. There we go. Welcome back to Rebound and Safety. Today we're having a chat with some just awesome guys. Stephen Harvey, or Steve Harvey, and Michael Cormain. They are over in Australia because, you know, that's where just all awesome people are. And um, we're going to have a chat about the work they're doing at Queensland Utilities. And frankly, it's a great chat. Very emergent. We didn't plan this. We just jumped on a Zoom call. Off we went. And, um, yeah, let's see how it goes. Just jump into the intro. We'll get into the content. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution or one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is a YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin. We're here to change your perception of health and safety. So if you're new here, hit all those buttons, those like buttons, those algorithm magical buttons. Just hit them. And um, let's see if we can get me in front of or in the ear holes of other amazing people. Because that's what those algorithm things do. So do me a favor and just hit it. Don't ask any questions. Just do it. If it looks negative, like thumbs down or something, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Just all, all positive stuff, please. Let's get into today's content. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I think you're really going to love this. It's just a really emergent conversation. Um, and it's two conversations because this one was so good and we, we didn't cover anywhere near what we kind of not even wanted to cover, but like they've got so much information and content that they can share these guys that we had this emergent unplanned chat and we were like oh we need to talk again so we did so in the next interview that we put out it's going to be them again so you're going to get like two over two hours yeah over two hours of these guys so loads and loads of content this is safety to new view whatever you want to call it safety differently in reality, these guys are doing it. Anyway, without further ado, just a quick word from our sponsors before we go absolutely anywhere. Um, obviously, the, everything I do at Rebrand Safety is sponsored by Project Millium because it's one of my companies. So um, please go and check out www.projectmillium.com. And if you want to jump on one of our courses to try it for free, then drop me a DM and I'll let you know. But I'll put the link in the description below as well. Rebrand Safety is officially sponsored by Paradigm Human Performance, their health, safety and environmental subscription services. Managers and owners of SME businesses, small and medium-sized enterprises are constantly spinning loads and loads of different places and health and safety support is something that often is perceived as, well, an unaffordable luxury really, whether we like it or not. It pretty much is sometimes, and that's how they see it. Or it's just really overcomplicated. And most of the time, this is fine. And unfortunately, something goes wrong, and that leaves them really without any support. They're a bit exposed. They're a bit lonely and potentially in a pretty bad situation. So the cost of establishing a solid foundation of legal, regulatory, and industry compliance and embedding that in everything you do should really never be beyond the reach of any employer. And that's what Paradigm are trying to do here. Paradigm's human performance global mission is to make workplaces safer, healthier, more respectful places. How nice is that? More respectful places. 
where all workers are recognised for their contributions and respected for their sub subject matter expertise. Oh, isn't that lovely? And because worker safety must be part of your DNA, if your organisation is going to thrive, human performance have a great way to make this a reality. Their HSE subscription service starts from just £99 a month. If you need help, support in meeting your legal obligations, then please contact them on 0800 or email contact us at paradigmhp.com for more inf information and total peace of mind. I'm going to put all of those numbers, those contact information, the email and Paradigm's website in the description below. Go and check them out. They wouldn't be a sponsor for this channel if I didn't absolutely rate what they do. They're a phenomenal company. They're human performance experts. So this is not just health and safety compliance. This is health and safety weaved in with human and organizational performance. So this is safety at its best. So I wouldn't have them sponsoring this channel if I didn't 100% rate what they do. Um, so please go and check them out. Um, and if you're really still not sure about it, then the link in, in, the, in the description below will be for their website. And you can join their learning organization webinar every single week, completely free of charge. You can, you can get a taster for what this company is like before you, even, before you even commit. How good is that? So go check them out. Without further ado, let's jump into the amazing conversation with Steve Harvey and Michael Cormain. Oh, I'm my glasses. Are you guys working at the moment? Are you still locked down or...? Uh, we are in a hybrid lockdown essentially. So it's like not as bad as, not as strict as it was in March, but stricter than others. And then you've got Scotland that have, Scotland have just done typical Scotland really and just gone, right, we're just going harder on this and suck it up, you know, kind of Scottish like mentality. We suck this up, get this done. And then the Britain go, uh, England going, we'll wait and see what Scotland do. And then if they do well, we'll go, yeah, we told Scotland to do that and then we'll do it, um, which is typical English English government. We just kind of copy them. Uh, and the Republic of Ireland have gone even stricter than Scotland. Um, so they're pretty much shut down pretty nearly everything. They're essential only. Um, England, England very half-arsed on this. But then so I was talking to somebody the other day who made a very, very good point, which I... I I kind of knew, but when they said it out loud, I was like, mm, yeah, shit, that's a good point. And that they said like the, the the population of Scotland and Northern Ireland together is less than London alone. Mm. And and I yeah. and he and he was like, So can you imagine if the if the English government turned around and said we're gonna shut down construction, which is the big conversation point at the moment, um, shut down construction it would be, you know, catastrophic. And I work in a sector that covers both manufacturing and construction. So when he said that, I was like, shit, yeah, that's a really good point. Like, I really didn't think about that. The economic damage just shutting down England compared to Scotland and Northern Ireland would be huge. Um, and I, I kind of knew that, but I didn't really think about it until that guy said it, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I was reading an article on the BBC and it was talking about 250,000 small businesses won't recover from this. They, mm. they, they, will, they will go yeah. in, in the space for you, which is really tragic. To put yeah. that in context for you, though, mate, like last two weeks ago in Brisbane, we had one person, um, they actually, they, 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 had got, they got that COVID transmission of the, the UK variant. Right, yeah. And they put, they put us into like a 
three-day lockdown wow. one person. Wow. The reaction to it, bang, straight away. Yeah. In the bud. I do, I do kind of, and I get, I get what they're trying to do. The English government, I do just wish we did. I mean, you look at Australia, look at New Zealand, like the way they reacted, they were much stricter, much faster to just react and just go, let's just nail this now. Um, you know, have, have three weeks, have a month, a couple of months of really hard times and a nip it in the bud. It's a power. It's, I mean, we know what we're, what we're talking about when it comes to hindsight. You know, we talk about this all the time with our work, but it, it's with that vision, that perfect vision of, of hindsight, it's like, yeah, maybe it would, would have been better to do that. But to be fair, guys, I remember being in the first lockdown and I remember saying to my wife, give it a couple of months. And I, before that, I remember saying, this stuff never comes over to England. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're so lucky. It never comes over to us. You know, SARS, all of this stuff, it never hits us. Uh, look at me now. <laughs> yeah, it was the same, mate. I, I didn't take it serious at all, if I'm, if I'm being totally honest. I, I remember because our, our office went into a complete lockdown for this, and I was like, what? Yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. This is crazy. But they never shut construction down here either, like at any stage. So there was still construction was still going ahead even during our hardest lockdown. So yeah, Re Republic of Ireland have gone really hard in the, in this this last lockdown. They they pretty much shut down nearly all of construction, and there's there's only yeah, specific have, criteria for that. They have, but they have they're still allowing people into Ireland. They're still, um, you know, they had something like twelve thousand people come into the country in the last uh, last couple of months. So. Yeah. yeah, they're kind of half doing it as well, really. Yeah, I, I, I do wish the UK at least would would have been a bit more unified on this. Like I'd have really like Northern Ireland, England, Scotland and Wales to have been a bit more unified approach. It's, it's, a, it's a real shame to see them. And also, you know, where I work in my day job, we have to guide, you know, our, our kind of members for each individual one. So it's just from my point of view, it's a pain in the bloody ass having to check what Scotland are doing and then check what Northern <laughs> Ireland are doing and so on. It's a nightmare. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I suppose it's like because our organisation is just based in Queensland, really, we don't really have to so much worry about what other states are doing, really. But, yeah, I've not really thought about that, mate. Yeah, like some of these national organisations that would have to deal with Border closings, like Western Australia, they had like a real hard border closure. They did not let anyone in. Mm, yeah. um, Victoria obviously had that lockdown, a real hard lockdown for those guys a couple of months ago as well, but it's paid off dividends for them. Yeah. Of course, I should be quite grateful for that, really, Michael. Yeah, like, like we didn't have to deal with all the different states and yeah, different territories. Because I was working for another business when they started, and they kind of we were multinational, so it was a, it was a, it was a massive, um, yeah, it was a massive effort just to try and get everything coordinated. It was like mm -hmm. we, were, we were, we had you know parts of the business were in China, we couldn't get anything out of there. We had parts of the business in India, we couldn't get anything out of there. It was just yeah, it just became a logistical nightmare just trying to get product just to to keep going. But yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting. Like I, I don't think this is. We won't be. We won't see international flights for another for another twelve months at least. Anyway, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's going because we had um, <clears throat> through rebranding safety, we had a little bit of work uh, to cover an event to like vlog an event in New Orleans, which I was just oh, like, man. man, that's a bucket list job. That like New Orleans, I was just like, come on. And then um, 
I remember being like, yeah, well, I'll let you know because we back then we were expecting our, our baby and um, and I was like, look, I'm just having a kid, so I'm going to need to work this out proper whether I can actually, you know, thanks for thanks for the baby wife. I'm now buggering off to New Orleans and, and <laughs> I know she would have wanted to come with us and that would have just been a, a nightmare with the baby and I just thought, I'm not sure if this is going to happen and then COVID came and I was just like, well, that's that decision made. Uh, so thank you very much, but I'm desperately waiting for that to come back so that I can uh, go there. I mean, there'll be heaps of opportunities around yeah. the place for sure. Like I know that Dave Proven's already starting to talk about doing his safety two in practice mm. conference. That'll probably be held in Brisbane, mind you. It might be a bit too soon for you now, but that's that's just that's just going great guns. That that's yeah. going to be that that's going to be ongoing. I suspect. Do you think, um, like, I'm, I'm conscious that we're doing this as a very emergent conversation, so this will be all over the place. I'm also conscious that I'm a, I'm a cheap ass and I don't pay for Zoom, so we're going to get cut off in about half an hour. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so this is we're going to have to try and cram in as much as we can. Um, so, 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 mate, what do you want? Do you want like obviously we've got a lot of practical examples of what we've done in our organisation, right? Mm. Uh, so we can. We can sort of give you that. You've probably, you might have heard me before on, I would uh-huh. talk with Sam and, you know, we spoke about some of the things that we've done. I mean, we can have a chat about things that haven't worked well as well. I, I, yeah, I think I think let's just kind of see where the conversation goes because I think um, I think you'll be able to bring your practical examples into it 100%. I, do you know what I'm interested to talk about is I think we had this, this like, and it would be interesting to see what you guys think from where you are, but... In the UK, we had a an increase in people talking about this new new view. I'm just just going to call it that for ease of conversation, right? And bucket them all in the same list. It was a when, when I started safety, you know, this stuff. To put it into context, I remember starting this podcast thinking I was the only one that thought of safety like this. Like I thought I had the monopoly. I thought I was going to be rich. Um, did the podcast? Started interviewing people. Started reading some books and thought shit i'm actually not going to be rich anymore and i probably should have just give up and gone into sales or something then um but like that that's how kind of behind i think we are in in the uk um even though the bits the bits are there but on a mass scale i think we're we're hugely behind there's a massive influx do you think though that the covid will help or hinder the new view because the way we're dealing with it is probably very kind of I don't know. Could you say it was very safety one? I'm not really sure, but it's. I'm not sure whether this is going to be good or bad for the movement. And I say that in quotations. Well, mate, the guys that are that are doing the work at the point end, they're still having to work. Yeah. Right. Like I know that in our organisation, we have got the basically our guys didn't stop. Yeah, they yeah, they, can, they continue to work. So I I mean I still had to work through as well. There were some occasions when I when I was put into the office, but for sure there was those lads still have to work. So I could still influence in that space. Mm. Um, answer your question. Look, I I think it's actually got easier. People are sort of loosening off in terms of their compliance requirements. I think a lot of the decluttering work might come off the back of this. Yeah. Yeah. I believe because there's just not as many people are not at the office as much. People are not, uh, they're, they're, they're not like basically people who are not doing uh, much work might find themselves being out of work really. But in terms of the point ended, 
those guys are still working on. Michael, what about yourself? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, look, I think these all bets are off at the moment. I think people are just trying to navigate through this the best they can. Mm-hmm. I think businesses at a corporate level are trying to manage the whole uh, COVID nineteen like they would have any kind of major disaster. They're still doing the same things they've always done. But what this has done is kind of given us an opportunity to kind of reflect and see, well, can we do things differently? You know, there's people are now working from home where, you know, even even that was looked upon as, oh yeah, somebody's working from home for the day. But, you know, that's that's um, that's kind of changed people's view and it's sure we can be productive doing it. But yeah, I think in some ways it's going to help, but I think if you, I think it's also, I don't think a lot of companies still don't know about it as well. I think the ones that mm. do know about it are yeah. kind of, you know, they're, they're kind of still looking at all this other stuff and they're trying to, they're trying to work it out and trying to, you know, figure it out for themselves. But the other ones out there just don't, you know, haven't got it. Uh, just yeah, they don't they don't know anything about it, so they just continue doing what they were doing. So it'll be, it'll be interesting if we get like a spike and. Legal claims from people mm. working at home. That's really, I, I know, uh, I, I have seen a couple of funny recess claims. Recess are claims that are basically events that happen during breaks in people's homes. Okay. So there has been some funny events coming through that way. So yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if we get any common law claims or what sort of legal precedents are set really from this. I, that's funny you should say that because that that's a conversation that's starting to come out now. It's a, you know a lot of people that I'm working with, with we're starting to have that conversation is you know what what happens next when I get loads of claims for I caught coronavirus at your work or something like that, um, or I'm you know stressed because you didn't look after me at home. Like a, a lot of employers are really nervous about this now, um, and it's interesting because. Just, I, don't, I think the coronavirus thing for claims for that, and then, the, and I'm not a lawyer, but if you follow in the kind of tests that we have for civil law in the UK, I think it'd be so hard to prove that the the, the damage or the catching of COVID, the harm, was as a result as a, as, of of the employee, um, or sorry, employer. Um, I think that'd be really hard. I don't, I don't even think it'll be COVID, James. Like, I I think it'll be, like, people who have work-related incidents at home, you know, like, tripping over the laundry or yeah. or going to the shops or something like that and then having, like, an accident yeah. on yeah. the way there. For, for me, that's that's my sort of thinking with this, not so much COVID, because, like, I, like I, I can only speak for what's happening in Australia. Like, I know workplace health and safety are really hot on t- in terms of COVID plans and having the physical distancing and PPE, etc. Yeah, yeah. So that's my thoughts around how it could change how work I, is done. I remember when I used to work for a business, we shifted to work from home for a lot of people that were on, we were kind of, this was pre-COVID. Um, the business kind of had a bit of a shift towards working for to home and there was this massive debate. Should we do fire risk assessments <clears throat> in someone's home? And I was like, you can knock on my door all you like. You are not coming in and doing a fire assessment in my home, especially some of the contractors that you bloody send. Jesus Christ, I'll have to buy a new house. Um, it'll have to be made out of flam- kind of, uh, what's the word, non-flammable bricks and so on and so forth. It'd just be a nightmare. Um, not that bricks are flammable. You know what I mean? Um, and and we ended up going round and round in circles. And some of the arguments I get made sense, you know, like, 
we're sending them to work, so we're responsible for them, but they're working from home and so on. And maybe it's a little bit of a gray area, but we ended up going to um, like the local fire service and asking their, they call it a primary authority over here, like asking for their primary authority opinion. And um, and they were like, regulatory reform order does not include in the house, even if they're working there. I, I have no legal rights to enter their property and the Housing Act kind of protects that. Um, so that kind of shut that conversation down. But it reminds me of, well, I say reminds me, I've just literally, back-to-back calls, finished talking to Clive Lloyd, who I'm sure you guys oh. know of, right? Yeah, yeah. me and all Clive, yeah. I'm sure you would. And we were talking about trust, as I think that's his thing. Like We're talking about trust so much. And I think that is the one thing I'd like to see come out of COVID, is that, I think, Michael, you mentioned it, the work from home thing. When I start work from home, everyone said to me, you know, oh, what'd you do? I wish I could work from home. You just sit down watching telly all day. No, I still have to do the work. Like, just because I'm from home, the work still exists. Not like I get up on on a Monday morning, oh, shit, some magic fairies have come and done my work for me. Like, my employers have to trust me to to do the work. And that's the same for flexible work. And so I, I, I think, or I hope, that we'll see more trust in our employees off the back of COVID. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I think so. And I think even out of this, you know, the majority of people working from home are office-based workers, right? And as Steve was saying, you know, the guys in the in the pointy end are, um, are still doing the work. So in some ways, it's actually the, the whole COVID thing is actually disengaged some of those guys even further sometimes because, they, you know, we're all talking about this working from home thing where they've continued to get out there and still do the work and, yeah. you know, just get on with the job. So, yeah, this... Uh, it is interesting. I think if you look at the the big picture on this too, the um, yeah, you know the the um, you know the legal side of it. And you start talking about that. And if you actually look at the real costs of some of these claims to a business, it's 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 bugger all. You know, in in the grand scheme of things, and um, it's not really the important bit. It's you know, I think people are just getting on and doing what they're doing, and sometimes people are working more from home than they were before <laughs> when they were working yeah. in an office. Yeah. James, I think they've been forced to trust them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so, the the uh, definitely the office-based people who are working from home that they're, they're having to just trust the output that's being like being produced. But I like I dare say it's significantly down. Uh, it's funny. I was just I was just out earlier with a couple of guys there, and they were talking about like one has only been in the office six times since March. But he sort of says it's good because like he's never been to the gym so much, uh, like he's like he he's having a great time. But also, I, I know what I find anyway. Like tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm going to be on my laptop from seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then and then I'll I'll probably push through till about five or I'll probably go into the office tomorrow for a little bit. But uh, I do find that I've been working longer hours. So yeah, it's like there's going to be sort of issues with that too. But just like your earlier point, mate, I think we're being forced to trust people, which can only be like, I don't know, like for me, for me, like trust is obviously a big part of what I do. So it uh, can only be good for people like, like us who sort of practice it. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely that kind of divide as well, which Michael, you touched on there, but like, like the people that have been working, I, I delivered like a little webinar um, early, early COVID when we first thought, you know, what we'd, we'd done the lockdown, we're all going back to work now. There was this big movement to return to work. Everyone was doing these return to work webinars and somebody asked me to come on and talk about it. And I said, similar to what I think you said, Michael, in that 
we have to acknowledge there is now an even bigger void between the admin services and the non-admin services at work. The people that have, I use manufacturing example because that's where I've kind of come from, is these people have been going into the factory every day. And as far as they were concerned, you know, they've been putting their families at risk by going into the factory, working, being with people, touching items. That They've been putting themselves and their family at risk every day for maybe a minimum wage, maybe a low wage, you know, to, to kind of fund the man and all, and all that. And the admin people have still been working, granted, maybe some haven't, maybe they've been furloughed, but those that have been working, working just as hard, but from the safety of their own home and, and, and they're in control of their own, their own safety in their own home and so on and so forth. And I, I think that we'll really start to, this is why I think maybe it's a good thing. COVID's not a good thing, but what we could, we could use it as a good thing, as a catalyst for change, because I think everybody's pre-existing culture in their workplace has now been 100% tested like it never has been tested before, ever. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I think it's created a lot of innovation. You know, people have had to change and people have to be more flexible and, you know, people are thinking about different ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I tend to agree with you. I think it will change the way we're, we're doing things going forward. Um, but I think we kind of need still need to keep having those conversations about you know about that psychological safety as well you know we've got um and again it's the, the businesses that are doing this are doing it and we kind of need to do what we can to try and get the word out there as much as we can yeah, i think te- technology and just what, touching on what you guys are talking about there microsoft teams is, like I, I know like one of our groups they actually use the microsoft teams program to sort of create like a like a wiki risk assessment thing. It's really amazing. Actually, it's like this dynamic process that they're using, and like they're they're putting all their information. They're putting safety information. They're putting project photos. They're putting who visited the site into this Microsoft Teams. You know how you can use messages and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's actually creating a beautiful evidence that if something was to go wrong, they could just look in here and say, "Hey, look, this is how mm. we manage risk." Uh, I'm really, really impressed, and <clears throat> I think that's something I'd like to look at in the future. Getting people using like the wiki style risk assessment process, you know, where it's constantly being updated, constantly being managed by the guys that are uh, actually doing the work or the project managers. Just becomes really like, awesome, an, <clears throat> like an ongoing narrative of work, like in, in a way, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's photos, awesome. yeah, mate. It's really awesome, and I've tried to, I've noticed. When we stopped our guys from coming together to do toolbox talks, we used Microsoft Teams, and they were in their vehicles, and that was cool. And it was a good way to share stories. You know, I talk a lot about stories in our workplace, you know, like capture the stories of the jobs. Mm. But not everyone's doing it, unfortunately. But the ones that are doing it, you know, I'm trying to show that, like, explain the benefit of it. It's like it, it's really capturing day by day work as as it's happening. Mm. Yeah, we've uh, and we've had to do things like learning teams on through through teams as well, you know, which um, you know, which works really well because you actually, you know, people are engaged in the subject anyway because you're there to kind of discover. So it creates a real opportunity for people not to have to and you know drive long distances because our business is pretty well spread out. So we need we've got people from you know it's probably about 150 kilometers from one end to the other, so they can you know they can sit at their desk take. You know, an hour or whatever it is to, to sit down and actually 
be part of a, a learning team and then get back to their work. You know, it's not a massive impost on their whole day. So, yeah. How, how do you, I'm kind of, I'm kind of moving off that subject, but similarly related. There's a couple of things we've, we've said learning teams, uh, you know, and then, and then kind of Steve, you said toolbox torch, which maybe some people would class as, you know, that safety one traditional kind of thing. But like, um, and, and it's interesting because I actually referenced your chat, Steve, with your colleague on Sam, Sam Goodman's podcast. I can't remember the other gentleman's name that was Tony. Uh, Rory. Tony that's Tony. right. Yeah. No, Tony. 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 That was it. Yeah. Sorry. Tony. Yeah. Because I thought Tony was a Scotsman just because of his name. Oh yeah. And, that's right. So that, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I assumed you were the Aussie based on your name, way off base. Um, <laughs> But I, I talked, I referenced that chat and we were talking about um, like platitudes, safety platitudes, you know, like zero harm and all this. And, and I said, you know what? Safety two is no different. We're starting to get our own little platitudes now. And, and like how important it is to make sure that our actions kind of follow our words. And, and, I, and I don't know whether it was um, Steve, whether it was you or Tony, but one of you were kind of saying, you know, how strict you are on this kind of change in the language, which everybody talks about. It's the first thing that we do. You know, someone coming in and saying, um, you know, oh, we just had an incident. Like, no, we haven't. We've just had an event or, or something like that. For me, I would feel quite uncomfortable, like kind of challenging, but I understand why we have to do it. But like, how, how, what does the, the actual action look like? So let's take, let's take investigations, actions. We stopped calling it investigations. We're now calling it learning teams as an example, right? Is, what's the difference? Is it literally just how we're approaching it or like physically, is there any kind of difference? Because if I call it a learning team, but I'm still doing the same thing I was doing, surely it's just a platitude, isn't it? No, no I mean, like, so I've done like ICAM investigation, done some other different types of investigation processes over the years. But I think learning teams gets everyone together in the room. And as long as they're comfortable and safe, which I think that we are pretty good at, you just capture more insight, James, you know, you just capture more of the stories, you just capture really what's happening. A good example that I could give you that one was, I remember a number of years ago, I was working for an organisation and it's really when I started to discover this. I read uh, Sidney Decker's book, The Field Great Understanding Human Error, and it changed my whole outlook, right? But I remember one time a, a guy was reporting it to me and he said, oh, I've got the statement from this lad. And I was like, what do you mean the statement? Let me have a look. And it was two lines. So I said, look, let me go and meet this guy and let me, let me go and talk to him. And I came back with like four pages worth of like the whole story of the job. And for me, that, that I think if you say to someone, give me a statement, I automatically, that'll, that'll get my back up. That's me automatically thinking I'm in trouble. Whereas if you say, give, let's capture this story, you know, let's talk about what's, what's, what's actually happened here. I think that sort of softens the approach and that sort of gives you that sort of, the deeper learning, so to speak, if your organization is mature enough to accept it. Mm. But, but for me, I think the language is really quite critical when it comes to, particularly events. So it's like, even I'm calling that event learning, James. That's yeah. the thing. Like we, we don't even, investigation sort of being eradicated from what we, yeah. what we talk about. I'm just kind of scared. I'm scared maybe it's not. I'm fearful of, of a, you know, I'm I'm fearful of there being a safety differently 2.0 in 10 years time. Do you know what I mean? When safety differently new views just become become the 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 what we talk about BBS now, for example, if people were to talk about you know safety differently differently, and it'll be someone else has wrote a book because 
actually we've talked about, you know, there's no blame or we learn and, and or, or all of these things. And they just, I'm just worried they become even more platitudes that we don't, our actions don't kind of mimic our words, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Oh, they're just basic tools, you know, they, it doesn't really what you call them. It's essentially a conversation. It's just two blogs having a chat or a, few, a group of people having a chat to, to help, you know, to try and improve. That's mm. really what it's as simple as that. You know, it, you, know yeah. you can call it whatever you like or name it whatever you like within the business. And, you know, I think and it, it, even just using those simple things, it, it creates that environment then where you can go on and do other stuff differently. You, it's about, I won't say it's throwing everything out, but you can definitely challenge the way we've done things all the time to kind of to kind of make them a bit more inclusive um, and, and not just go taking like exercises. You know, we, we've looked at um audits and checklists and, and we're trying to see what context we can pull out of these things and you can get a lot of information out of them so the stuff we're trying to do is, is really looking at that quality of information that you know you can actually do something with even our our senior you know our uh, senior safety committees um we, we we report up those critical work insights in our business that, so their stories of of com- complex work around high-risk tasks so it's giving those guys enough information as leaders in the business to make an informed decision. So it's not just looking at a bit of paper or a checklist saying, well, we're, we're not compliant, right? So that's kind of the whole conversation. Yeah. I've re- I've, James, I've really softened my approach as well in safety too and safety differently. And like, and I'm a, I am a, a fanboy. And like, I, I love what, everything that we do. But I started calling it safety performance. Okay. So I go, into the, I go into the business and start saying, hey, look, I'm going to help you Let's, we're going to start looking at improving safety performance and that sort of works better than some if you start going into places go, oh, we're going to look at safety too people lose their minds they don't know what it is but it's if you start saying hey let's increase performance and I actually see people at barbecues now and like I'm a safety performance guy <laughs> like and that. that's and that sort of yeah it's awesome and that came from McConaughey he, he sort of said to me you know you're not a safety guy you're a safety performance guy yeah. And I've never, I've never forgotten it, mate. And it's something that I definitely use. But going back to like your safety two and two point stuff, right? We there's a lawyer that we are sort of known in Australia, a guy called Greg Smith. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I've heard. Absolutely brilliant. But he sort of told us, he spoke to us. He done a webinar for our organisation, and he sort of said, like you, like you guys are doing all this cool stuff, but you also have to make sure that you're checking it, and you have to make sure that. It's working and it's still valid and people are using it because if you're not, we will find out if something goes wrong. Mm. So that was that, that sort of was a good sort of eye opener into like what's about how we, we do this work as well. Mm. It's as simple as if you you know whatever you say you're going to do, just do it. <laughs> make sure it works. So the easier you make it, you know, the, the more chance you have of it actually happening in the first place. And and I suppose the more uh, inclusive you are, the better quality information you're getting out. Even what Steve was saying, he was talking about safety performance. You know, I see this as an operational um, performance or an, an operational philosophy. It's not a, it's not just a safety philosophy because to truly make this happen, you can't just do it within the safety stream. You've got to do it within, you're embedded in everything you do because if you're only doing it in one part of your business or, or one topic within your business, it really doesn't work because um, you know, you, you kind of you still have people going off doing other stuff and and having you know, using using the old uh, safety one kind of methodology to kind of treat you know deal with people whether it's purchasing or whatever else. Um, but yeah, there's uh, if you've got to embed it in everything uh, to make it really work. 
I actually quite like that that phrase, like because performance is a known, established word that that business leaders they love it. Like they literally love the word performance. Like I, the second you said it, I was like, that's it. Like if I, if I go into my meetings and say, well, I want to talk about performance, they're all like, oh yeah. Oh, performance! Like start rubbing themselves and shit. Like yeah, people, I mean, people, people love it. Like that's so a great idea. Next, you got to measure it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, but you can measure it by the conversations, right? You know, if people start talking about, uh, oh, like this guy's come in, he started talking about safety performance rather than beating us over the head with a stick. Uh, I can't write that's like an, an awesome way to. Uh, is it performance? That's that's ever since I've started talking about safety performance. And like I say, I go to barbecues now and tell people I'm a safety performance person rather than a safety person. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I I get instantly better connections with others than I do when they tell them I say you're a safety person. Yeah. <laughs> this is a this I'm, I can't tell you what they would normally say to me as this is a family friendly podcast. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's not a family friendly podcast. <laughs> uh, I actually right. Seeing as as you guys tried and tested, yeah, I would like to talk about that measuring thing because I think that is something that that a lot of people struggle with. Um, it's when I'm talking to people, that is, I think that is one of the big issues that people struggle to get over. Is is like I, you must know you must have heard of Kevin Furness. Um, he's he's doing a hell of like, not heard of him. Yeah, Michael, you've heard yeah, of him, Steve. He, he 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 used to work. He's moved on now, but he used to work for. I, I always don't know if I've said this right, but Maersk, the ship, international ship. Oh company. yeah, mate. yeah, yeah. He's yeah. he was a head of safety for them. He's brought in this kind of safety differently way of looking at things and and so on and so forth. And and he is he he is like steely eyed like that. This is his thing. He gets it. He he stands by it and so on. And and so he should. Um, and I agree with so much that he said. Um, but I remember him saying, and he does say how hard it was, like fair play to him. He does say th- these conversations were really difficult. But like he went into boardrooms and he's saying, right, I'm just not going to show you. Um, I'm not going to show you the accent stats anymore. I'm just not going to show them to you because what you're doing yeah. with them, um, I'm going to stop doing it. Now, I get it and I agree with what he's saying, but Jesus Christ, I can imagine how uncomfortable that was. Like as a leader, how... How, hang on a minute. How do I know? Bearing in mind, in England, the insurers are going to be asking the same thing. Your your ISO auditors are going to be asked. Well, ISOs are international, but you know your, your auditors are going to be asking the same thing. If the HSE turn up tomorrow, they're going to ask the same thing. Um, so I that's think a that's problem. A, then you are. That's a problem, James. That's a problem, James. You know, when you're getting guys like the HSE coming in saying, "Hey, what's your accident stats?" Mm. That should be the last thing that they're focusing on. Focusing on. They should be coming in going. Yeah, how how do you control this? How do you control these major hazards that you've got in there? Mm. Uh, metrics, you've got, you've, you could get me on a bit of a rant here. So I like but, rants. Off you go. Uh, like I just think they're an absolute waste of time. I mean, I, I, I really do. Um, I, I've I've been involved with some. Have you heard of Art of Work? If you like, you, you've done one Art. Yes, of work. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Kelvin Gem. Kelvin. Yep. Yeah, so th- those guys are doing some amazing work in the due diligence index mm. frameworks and talks about different kinds of metrics. Um, we we have done some sort of work with metrics in terms of like managing like the EAP reports, you know, like yeah. how many e- EAP reports we've been getting. So rather than giving someone a number that there's just like nobody knows what lies behind it, right? 
uh, it's just giving some stats around this is how many people are using the EAP. This is a this is the critical control work insights that have been captured. These, these are what people are doing. So we've basically eradicated the metrics in our board reporting, mm. uh, which is which is which again it's a bit of a struggle for some people. And I definitely I had meetings with other people saying, how can you do that? You know, it's just and it's because it's easy to capture those traffic rates and mm. even worse the LTI rates. Uh, we, we use like significant injury frequency rate, which sort of uses the same methodology, but uh, like I still think you're getting, I, I think it was Greg Smith again, it's what sort of said that uh, you capture stories, not metrics or something like that. Is, mm. would that make away any sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, the, the, there is a lot of data within every business, like because you, you you consider the amount of information companies gather within every department, and you start looking at looking looking at what Steve was talking about with EAP and how many people access it, and then you start looking at sick leave and you start looking at things like that through so your HR process and what's your turnover of staff. They're they're, they're all indicators of, of how your business is performing when you're dealing with the people, because and then they can give you you know if you want to talk about cost, you can show cost against that. But there is so much information already being gathered within businesses, but we just need to look for it. And yeah. I think, um, you know, even how we do deal with our contractors and, you know, those types of um, interactions like where you're, you know, you've got to ping somebody because they haven't met your performance or whether it's safety or operational performance, you know, rather than trying to understand why things weren't going right and trying to assist them to, to get to a, a you know, yeah, measuring, a measuring yeah. turnover. You know, where are the guys? Like, I, I remember Dave Proven was sort of talking about uh, you measuring turnover, measuring where the uh, organizations are not spending in their budget on maintenance, you know, try to capture that data instead. So, there's some, there's some pretty cool stuff. People are doing it, but it's just easy, James, right? It's just mm. easy to capture traffic rates. And, yeah. uh, and most of the information we put through, too, is, as I said, is that qualitative information. We're actually giving them examples of real stories from, from the field. So we're actually showing them, uh, we're, we're telling them that something may or may not be working within the field because we, we want to talk about the good stuff too. We talk about, and we, we do talk about the positive stories, like where things are going right in spite of all these other things. You know, the, we make it hard for our people sometimes to, to get that job done, but in spite of it, they get the job done, right? So, but we, we, we give them those stories. So, and they kind of, you know, for, the, for leaders in the business, that information is sometimes it's hard for people to take. Because it's not, uh, it's not, it's not something you want to hear that something is not being done to a procedure or to a safe work method statement or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, there's some there's some great information, but people have to be open to hear it. And sometimes it's it's you know it is hard to present that information. And and it, it, in an immature business, um, you know, they're not always ready for it. So you've got to be got to be careful how you do it as well. Yeah, and if you start focusing on these rates, right, it, like, it's just going to it's just going to introduce risk secrecy. People are people are just not going. To, if, if we're just starting to talk about uh, metrics and getting the metrics down, it's just going to actually drive the reporting will just sort of go underground. I also think, it, it, in my experience, I also think it it causes um, you know misspending of of resources. I think that that the lower end incidents are inherently more more frequent than you know they happen more often whereas the the high stuff the the fatalities and stuff like that um that happens less often so you spend so much money on slips trips falls, cuts and bruises that you don't have any money to spend on 
on, on I don't know, getting better ladders or something for working at height yeah. and stopping people falling. It, it it's like it's the same argument of there's a couple of things here, both of them from Todd actually. Todd calls it like talks about uh, the stuff that kills people, sticky. Like focus on sticky. I'm not massive fan of that i think it should be focused on what matters more than anything i'm not it sounds like i'm being nitpicky but i think stress and well-being doesn't really kill people i suppose you could argue that it eventually does but i think and, and for some people if you just manage a bunch of offices stress and well-being and like ergonomics is going to be your two biggest things so no one ever died from having a bad back but it, they can be absolutely debilitated um so and that's just kind of nitpicky but that that I really like, like trying to bring us away from the data and focus on the stuff that really hurts people. And and then the next thing is, I think, where this inherently comes from, I think a lot of this comes from that likelihood versus severity, which I still think is a good conversation to have, but we, we come at it from the wrong direction. I think we always balance on the side of likelihood. Well, you know, no one's fell off a ladder in 20 years, so why would we, why would we look at working at height? And, and then I was listening to, to Todd talk and I asked him a question about risk assessments and stuff. And he said quite an interesting point as well, which he talks about all the time around, you know, risk assessments need to be when that severity crosses the line of whatever you deem to be low severity or, or, or kind of serious severity, you need to start then talking about having the capacity to fail safe and ask the question, if it goes wrong, are you happy with that solution, with what happens? Nine times out of 10, Falling off a ladder is not going to be a good thing if it's anything higher than a, than a step ladder. So, will it happen? Yes or no? But it could happen. Okay, if it could happen, are you happy with the outcome? Because if you're not, then well, there you go. And I think a lot of it comes from that likelihood balance. I think likelihood should be a consideration because we can't just spend thousands of pounds on everything. But it, yeah. it maybe runs the conversation a little bit too much. Mate, have you ever heard of a guy called Mark Alston? Yes. You, yeah. So Mark would be a really interesting feeling for you to talk to. He has a, a he sort of developed this approach to uh, risk assessment. I, said, I don't. Does he call it risk assessment differently, Michael? I don't. I can't remember. But you know, yeah, we, we brought. He's the same guy that does investigating differently or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark's an yep. awesome fella. He's he's super, very very switched on, and he, he talks about this approach to risk assessment. And actually, he he sort of talks about the qualitative approach that he sort of saying capturing good data and mm-hmm. and then don't get the guys involved with the risk matrix as such you know like classifying take yourself away from that team just get them to yep. focus on credible risk get yep. them to focus on the controls and then you go back and then you measure that against your own sort of risk process well it's, but, it's uh, interesting because if you go to the hse in england and you download their risk assessment there is there's no number system on there it's, it's a it's a it's a qualitative risk assessment it's all about the descriptive nature of understanding work and right now yes it has you know consider the likelihood and benefit uh sorry likelihood and, and and severity but actually what it asks for is just to describe what's going on um and but but yet everybody i mean i've worked for a fair chunk of businesses and every single risk assessment has number the severity number the likelihood times them together divide it by this get the power of 10 and then find the square root and then eventually it will come down to a lower number that we're happy with we don't have to spend money on it and it, it, that that's what this all comes down to but yet the hse don't don't promote that and they're the people that are going to be enforcing on you yeah i'd love to take them away i've been told 
I think it's um, sometimes it's it's not so much the methodology. You can use whatever you like. If you want to measure it by pineapples, you do that, right? <laughs> but if, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's it, it, it's what drives the business to improve. So the, the majority of the times, people are having arguments over what score it is because their KPIs within the business are you are not to get an LCI so you can get your your bonus at the end of the year. So those they're driving those behaviors. So if you're actually sitting down and having an honest conversation about risk, you can you can do whatever way you like, right? It really doesn't matter. It's the problem within our businesses, our KPIs are focused on trying to keep things quiet, basically, because it's it's not it's not a good look if you if your side or your business has an LTI or or a serious injury. You know, that's the reality. But you know, we need to get away from that and actually look at look at this as an, an ethical responsibility, not just a numbers game. And I think that's the the most critical part of the conversation. We need to get away from the numbers altogether. Yeah. And and focusing on credible risk. I remember yep. uh, I remember once doing a risk assessment near Brisbane Airport and the planes were sort of flying overhead and one of the guys said, Oh, do you do you think we need to include that? And I was like, Oh, I says, mate, if you're going to start looking at like planes crashing into this yard, you better have like some amazing controls in this place. And anyway, I managed to talk them away from it, but it really made me think, you know, like people people were focusing on these outrageous risks mm. rather than just sensible, credible risks. Mm. Yeah, sometimes you read risk assessments and the risks that are on there are just like, really? Like, how how when when has that ever happened? Like, oh no, it's never happened, but it could happen. Well, yeah, but Superman could land in front of me and knock me out tomorrow. But never happened before. It could happen. No one said it could. <laughs> science fiction is a precursor to, to science, so it could happen. Um, and, and, and I always just, find myself getting frustrated in these yeah. when we have these risk assessment meetings. I mean, I've done one fairly recently. We had a team of guys in a warehouse and they were sort of talking about, oh, but it could happen, you know, like somebody could do this. And then there's all these sort of triggering events. And I'm just like, guys, it's your workplace. Just talk about mm. what, what could happen, really, what's likely to happen now. I, I find it very common when I'm delivering training. I call it I call it training brain, that people separate from their normal working mind and go into a different brain when they're in when they're in a training room. In that when when they're getting safety training, they demand the highest standard of safety because they feel like they should when they're talking to me. I'm not really sure. But I re- I remember like being in this room and we were talking about uh the, it was fire safety training for the for the kind of construction and housing sector. Uh, so we were talking about compartmentation and, and how it works and, and means of escape and how many means of escape we should have. And um, anyway, long story short, in the morning, we I was partnering. There was me and this other guy training. The other guy was uh, works for the fire service, literally a fire expert, like not just the guy that rescues people from fire, but this guy's like engineer, legal side of it. He knew it inside and out. And we got there and they were doing this demolishing of a building just across the road and, and they were lifting up these uh, massive crane, which looked like they'd just tied it together with shoelaces. They were holding like this, this crate of like gas cylinders. I assume empty gas cylinders and they're swinging around. And he was like, they should have let the, did anybody know? They should have let the hotel know that they're doing that in case there was like a significant explosion or anything like that. Um, and just out of like general chit chat, like that's all he was doing. But anyway, fast forward like an hour later, we're talking about means of escape. And this guy was like, well, we're in a room that goes into a room that then 
from that room you enter into the fire escape, which normally is frowned upon. You don't the fire service don't really like rooms within rooms. They give rooms within rooms. It's when you get rooms within rooms within rooms that they don't like. Anyway, this guy was like, Well, if you come out of this room, you go into another room. And me and the me and the trainer were like, Yeah, but we've just said rooms within rooms, as long as this you're allowed to do it. Yeah, but there's a coffee machine out there. Uh yeah, we know that coffee machine can blow up. Okay, have you ever heard of a coffee machine blown up? But it could. Oh, yeah, it could. And then it's like, oh, and you said, and this is the thing that made me laugh. He said, and you said earlier about those gas cylinders, one of them, you said if it was flying, it'd be like a missile that could come through this room. We're all dead. And and he just kept going and going. And no matter how many facts and and like sensible, reasonable, balanced arguments we sent back, he just would not have it. And I just come back to him. I said, okay, fair enough. So when I come to your property next month, I will demand the same standard. Have you got the resources to do that? And he was like, uh, well, no, we haven't really got the budget to do it. And I was like, exactly. So what? So what? <laughs> why are you demanding that for this hotel where we're delivering the training, but you wouldn't deliver it yourself? It's, it's not, to use your words, Steve, it's not credible risk. Like, it's, what are you supposed to do about it? I wonder sometimes when we're in these conversations, it's really easy for us to demand such a high standard of safety, but we never would dream of delivering it ourselves in reality. Yeah. No, you're right, mate. That's that's a really great point. Yeah, and it's 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 quite often too, you know, you, you guys will be familiar with when you're doing a risk assessment with a group of people, how often are you gonna have opposed views on what the score or what what the, what the likelihood and consequences are gonna be of any given situation because the, the amount of scenarios are just you know, it's it's uh, it's infinite, infinite, mm. you know, so, and, and that's what Steve's saying as well. And Mark Alston puts it really well, you know, it's, he talks about credible risk and you just got to be able to be, you know, have an honest conversation about it. I think as well, it's maybe like what, I mean, maybe that is what comes under credible risk, but it's kind of like what's in your control as well. What can you actually mm. do about it? So like you kind of said about planes flying over the head and the first thing that came to my hand, my head, if I was having that debate, somebody would go to me, well, in America, two planes flew into the side of a building. Did they risk assess for that? I bet they all do now. And it's like, well, yeah, that's a good point. But if you want to put terrorism on your on your risk assessment, you've got to do something about it, mate. What are you going to do? Employ your own anti-terrorism force? Like, it's not going to happen, is it? Yeah, mate. And, and even like the guys in like America, they have like different risk conversations to what we have. You know, those guys, they they have like gun control conversations, and mm. uh, like they have like. What is it they do? Um, or like uh, I can't remember the term that they use, but they, when someone comes into like a or a shooter, is it a shooter or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Active the, shooter. An active, active shooter. You know, the, like those guys, they have those sort of things as well. And it's just, mm. it's just, yeah. It's, I just like to sort of, I just try to say it's like changing the conversation about risk. You know, like what's really going to happen? And you're right, mate. That that conversation I had with the lad talking about the plane that was all about September the 11th yeah well what if it drops you know what if it hits then they're like oh come on yeah but you're what can you do about place it in. yeah you're putting the control as soon as I said you're doing the work that changed that conversation it, totally. yeah it normally does yeah yeah all right off you go go and think of an idea to, to stop that happening then mate uh well I thought that was your job you're the safety guy yeah uh, totally it is it is it's, it's such 
it's, it seems so obvious, like when we have these conversations, like, and maybe it, because I'm in a bit of an echo chamber, all the people I talk to have the same kind of way of thinking of it. But when it comes to like talking to these people on the shop floor, they think that what they're saying is so obvious. And, and it seems like I'm the alien one for saying mm-hmm. well, that couldn't happen. So I don't, look, there's an example I've got this, this guy who put on LinkedIn, um, and I, and I felt really sorry for him because he got absolutely lambasted. And I could tell that when he put it on there, he felt like he was doing a really good thing. He took a photo of these two guys working on the roof. And this this photo, granted, like, I caveat it that there is no context with photos. And I hate it when people put photos up and say, find the hazards. Like, one, I'm not two years old. This is not spot the difference. I'm not like, I'm not playing that stupid game. There's also no context to that. So I know how could I tell you what's dangerous and what's not? Because I'm not there. However, this guy put up this thing and he was like, one photo, the above photo is before, before I rang up and told them that they're not managing health and safety. And I'm just like, so you're already a dickhead, like before I've even read the rest of the post. And, and then we're going through it. And basically he'd rang up and you know, the only thing that changed is apparently when he rang up and he looked out the window 20 minutes later and now the same guys are in pretty much the same position and the same roof in the middle of the roof, but this time they're wearing a hard hat and a high vis. And I, and, and I just, and I normally scroll past this stuff, but I just could not do it. And I was just like, I really don't understand what you've saved them from. Unless the high vis is for, uh, the high vis and a hard hat is to stop the risk of a pigeon hitting them or shitting on their head. I really don't understand what the, what the high vis and hard hat is for. I really don't understand. You've just created, and I think, what it does for me anyway, is it has another kind of unintended consequence that people get so fed up of it. Why have I got to wear a high vis on top of a roof that when they do actually need to wear a high vis, they don't wear it because they just think it's just another crap rule. Oh, totally, mate. Totally. I've been in uh, work sites where they've made uh, the lads wear high vis vests on top of their orange high vis suits you know how you get like the yeah, yeah. cotton drill vests and then the, and then this guy's operating a forklift he's now having to put on uh like a high vis yellow vest and i'm like do you guys honestly do you know what you're doing and I'm like well that's just the rules here you know like that's just what we do and i was like yeah but are you actually having conversations about what the forklift can can actually do and where it should be operating rather than just making this guy visible i mean the thing's got flashing lights on it so you're right. I mean, interesting thing about those photos is actually the comments themselves. Mm. You know, like I have no interest in, like you mean, I get no interest in those pictures. To me, the first thing I just sort of say, oh, I wonder why that made sense for them to do that. Mm. And then when you start reading through and filtering the comments, there's some real terrible assumptions there and safety people too. You know what I mean? Yeah, a lot of these comments. Oh, the, the worst one yeah, I had the other day. Was, was, oh, go on, Mike, go on. Sorry, Jim. Yeah, I think we need to get away from having those you know, to, to, to nitpicking at some of this stuff. At the end of the day, we're all trying to do the same thing. We're trying to look after people and, and make it better. You know, if we're having, if we're nitpicking about whether they're wearing a high vis or not, I think we're having, we're in the wrong business. We need to get out of it and do something different. Yeah, but there is people like that though, mate. You know, there's yeah. still, there's still the safety people who have this overinflated self-importance. Oh, they actually they're, really do think that they're... They're, they're totally, yeah. I, I 100% agree with you. They are everywhere. There was a lady that put on LinkedIn the other day. Um, she was trying to promote 
like women and safety basically she she was a woman she was a safety professional in a in a i think she was in like rail or construction or something a very male dominated sector and she was there was a photo of her like uh high vis kind of overalls uh safety boots and they're all wearing the same thing right and she wrote this post just about diversity like she'd said like you know these are some of the challenges i've had blah 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 um you know I'm doing this photo to tell other women, you know, it is a great career. And I was like, you know what, fair play to her. You know, that's awesome. And it was a good photo, whatever. The comments were, I'd be more worried about your hair, hazard. Shoe, shoes untied, hazard. Uh, overfitting PPE, hazard. And I was just like, and I normally scroll past, but it was so infuriated reading these comments that I just went to town on like two or three of them. Like, and I'm just like, you don't, don't be a dickhead all your life. Like, it must be really tiring for you to be that annoying. Like, do you get out of bed, look in the mirror and go, hazard, 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 hazard. Like, and I just think it completely takes away from that woman's post and that was all of that was all of the comments. Like pretty much all of them were nitpicking her hazards. And I'm just like, you one, you make us look so bad. Like you make us look so bad as a profession. And it embarrasses me that you do that. And two, the post wasn't even about that. Like, get over yourself. <laughs> so annoying. Michael, you were gonna say something. Go on. No, no, no. I just uh, think there's um <laughs> The, the situation we're in at the moment with this, um, I think you're, you're doing it at the moment with, with the safety one and safety two conversation as part of your podcast, that it's not about that at all. We, we got into this profession to look after people and try and make it better. Mm. I think we need to stop having arguments over, you know, this crap like that. It's, you know, it's that, that stuff that happens on the ground is the important bit, you know, having those conversations and, and giving people what they need to do the job that's what it comes back to at the end of the day and i think most businesses are they, they kind of over inflate their own self-importance when it comes to talking about safety because at the end of the day they, their job is to kind of look after their people and just give them the, what they need to do the job and then they'll be successful you know so yeah. as, as i became enlightened i really i would go into some of these organ- i used to work in a labor hire organization james so i'd be going from like mining companies to manufacturing organizations to all these different businesses. And the more that I saw the advertised, like the LTI rates or whatever, like we spoke about early, earlier, or these three points of contact on like on the st- and on steps and all that sort of thing, on staircases, the more I was like, these guys are not focusing on the, the things that are going to kill them. Mm-hmm. Because it was just that uh safety work as the guys talk about. Mm-hmm. The you know, like I, I would always make sure if I was putting my people into those workplaces I'd been talking about, right, what do you actually do here? What do you expect these guys? To, what kind of work are they going to be doing? What controls are in place? Mm-hmm. What supervision? How do you, uh, you know, like, how do you communicate risk? Yeah. Those, yeah. I, I would always get suspicious of those organisations. Yeah. I don't know, rightly, rightly or wrongly, but it, it's no, I think you're right. Me... I, I, think, I think you're right because I, I think that without, without looking at work, you lose the context of which we all know this. I'm preaching to the converted here. You lose the context of stuff that's making safety not work or work. Like, so a great example using your, your kind of working at height example, there is a certain company which shall not be named, but they are very popular for installing dishes on this outside of people's houses for your telly. I, I don't know who they are. 
don't know who they are. Right. Well, we are Australian, so we don't know that organisation that you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but but they, um, I, I remember reading a case study or it was a news story or something. But anyway, long story short, they had, or somebody told me, I can't remember, it's irrelevant. So basically they have this, um, if you get a dish stored on the outside of property, they will ask you to approve them installing an anchorage point on the outside of your wall so that they can harness up and, and connect to this uh, this anchorage point. A very good safety measure, right? So you've now, you've now got yourself some capacity to fail. I like it. It's a good idea, right? The problem was is that nobody was doing it. So everyone was like, well, you know, just this is what it's like with people. We need to enforce on them or we need to incentivize them, you know, behaviorism kind of thing. Um, and then it, the, apparently the story evolved. And, and I remember we came back to it when I was talking about it or reading it. I can't remember. It came back to the point that they had too many jobs in a day to do that they didn't have time to install the anchorage point set up the harness and and and, and do all of that so actually without talking about work not safety but talking about work you never would have understood because und, and understood that because just talking about safety you you were doing a perfect job you got capacity mm -hmm. to fail you had your harness you've done more than than what you what what normal you know businesses would do it's a good job but because you're not talking about work what you don't know is that actually you've got a goal conflict i mean you're beautifully you, what you just described there is what every organization should be doing mm. mick you, i know that you've got some great thoughts on work insights life which uh yeah so so you know work insights for us have, have really changed the whole face of of how we, you know, how we're perceived when we go out to site, because at the end of the day, they know we're not there to to nitpick whether they're wearing the right PPE, and we're not there to to kind of you know to get up them for for doing the wrong thing. And you know, we're getting some really good stories out of these guys to to help inform some really good decisions. And it's been interesting, you know, in in the in the last year for me, um, you know. Then taking those stories back to our executives and our leaders in the business and being able to, to, to show them that the decisions they're making are having real impact to the, on the grass on the ground. And, you know, and what, what has been really good in our organization, it's taken a while for us to, to get some people over the line. But, you know, once they kind of get and understand why we're doing it, it, it makes a massive difference. And then they can go and make informed decisions about resourcing and everything else they need. So it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a big advocate. I think it's a you know, it doesn't matter what you call it, whether it's just a chat or whatever. And uh, Steve's got some really good stuff around you know even how they do pre-task risk assessments uh, out in the field as well. So yeah, mate, and I'm happy to share some of that stuff with you as well if you want to have a look at it. It's, oh mate, I'll take everything that you're giving. I mean, do you know, like just what Michael was talking about there about pre-task pre risk assessment. It's probably one of the things that's been the hardest, most proudest, but uh, I just don't know how long it's going to last because it's <laughs> taking stuff away. We we done a bit of work insight, talking about work discovery with our guys in the field, and they told us pre-start risk assessments were a waste of time, absolute waste of time. So we done a wee bit more discovery on this. We started asking the rest of the teams. We started talking to all our people and saying, like, talk me through this process. And the, basically the process was we only filled them in when you are turning up on site or when someone from the office is coming. So, all right, cool. 
let's look at changing this. So we went back to the organization saying, look, this is probably leaving us a bit exposed this actually, because the guys are not using this checklist, two page checklist, you know, I, th I think we should have a look at changing it. So we got the lads to actually talk about what things they wanted taken out of that list. And I'll tell you what, mate, <laughs> there wasn't much left to it. <laughs> so we thought, we thought, why don't we just have a con have a conversation? Why don't we train the guys on how to have conversations about risk? And mm. and they can pick the questions. And that's what we've done. We got them to pick the questions. So we and they named the they, they named the, the sort of what it was like it's called the we call it the chat. So nice. they named the method. They called the methods, right? Uh I tell you what, mate, that was quite that caused a lot of dissonance. People were like, What you're taking papers away? Like we like we want signatures, like like we need signatures on this stuff. It's like, yeah, but the signatures are worthless. Mm, we, yeah, yeah. Like we, we need to, you know, we want our guys to start managing risk. And I tell you what, the boys in the field and the girls, they absolutely love it. They love it. It's the people in the office who are uncomfortable with it. Mm. And, you know, like, uh, I, the people are starting to, and this is what Greg Smith was talking about earlier, we actually have to make sure the chat is, is working. Mm. We actually have to go to the sites and say, right, what, talk me through your chat and the guys are getting really good at it now they'll talk about i i call it the story of the job i don't even call it the chat i say tell me the story of the job how did you approach this work mm. and then that gives me the confidence knowing that it's working but yeah that's been that's been an awesome thing for us to do but it's it's been really hard yeah i can imagine it, yeah taking stuff away in safety is is pretty difficult adding stuff on if i had said to the business well let's add an extra bit of extra couple of check boxes onto this, there'd be no issue. I mean, ah, yeah, get it done. Happy days. Yeah, yeah. You'd have it straight <laughs> away. I, uh, I've had a similar conversation around uh, dynamic risk assessments. Um, and they were like, oh, we're doing a dynamic risk assessment. Here's our form. And I was like, well, it's not dynamic anymore. And I was like, what do you mean? You're just giving them a form. That's not dynamic. Dynamic is quick, changing, boom, boom. Here we go. Dynamic is a conversation. I don't even like calling them dynamic risk assessments. I, they, for me, that's a risk assessment. It's not dynamic at all. That's what a risk assessment should be. And so, well, if we if we don't have the form, how are we gonna how are we gonna uh, how how are we gonna record it? I was like, well, do you have to record it? Is the first question. Like you were saying, Steve, go on the shop floor, talk to people. Are they doing it? Are you happy with what's happened? Because if if they are, do you need to record it? Because well, you're doing it. But if you really want to record it, get your phone out, press record. Yeah, we, we, spoke, we spoke about that as well, mate, but the guys weren't actually comfortable doing oh, that. really? We, yeah, yeah, they, they weren't. They didn't, they didn't want to hear their voice. Yeah, like, it is. I, like, it's like, it's like when you do this sort of stuff, right? Like, I hate listening, but I'll probably never listen to this ever again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they just didn't want to hear their voice. But... Like the way that we approach risk is changing constantly. I like that dynamic risk approach because that's what as we work, that's mm. what happens, right? Yeah. Like work is. Uh, I think you hear Todd Conklin talking about like risk being fluid constantly. Yeah. For, um, for me, that that is that's what a risk assessment was always intended to be. Like I, I I just don't think it. I don't think there's such a thing as a risk assessment and a dynamic risk assessment. It's just risk assessment. For me, it's a it's a thought process, it's a conversation, it's a chat, like you were saying. Uh, the the paperwork is just how you record and evidence it if you want to uh, or you need to do it. Um, because yeah, like you say, that, it, it's dynamic. That's why courts we, have that's why courts have witness boxes. 
Yeah, and that's why we use the inside process too. You know, we we can use that as a, as a verification tool, right? If you want to go down that path, that is a verification tool. On um, so we've even how we do our assurance with our own business has completely changed. Um, um, we've you know we we don't go out with massive checklists and orders. We go and do an insight on a particular topic for the month, and we give people all of the information we've got around that topic within our business, and we say, well. Tell us what's working. Tell us what's not working. Give us as much information as you can back. And we don't count the number of those, but we, we just want really good information back. So we, we're really able to, to improve how the business operates off the, off the back of that information. So it's really, yeah, it's, it's taken away from having your, you know, your, your, your zonal checklist or whatever you're going to do every single month. And you're ticking the same boxes with the same actions and the same problems. And so, yeah, it's kind of, it's making it a bit more dynamic, as you say, and a bit more useful for the guys. And they absolutely love it. Mm. Mm. Right, gents, we only have three minutes left. So, and like I say, I'm a tight ass. So, and I don't want to well, keep any more of your time. Well, I was going to say, no. you've got to, you have to get into the joke around the English and the Irishman and the Scotsman. So, there's uh, all of... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the joke would be something around like there's an Englishman, a, an Irishman, and a Scotsman, and they're all in safety. Like you just end up, and then the leaders just end up feeling stressed, or there's something around there that needs to be said better. But we just remove, we don't do safety, or there, there's going to be some kind of. I feel like the safety one community are going to come up with it, and it's going to be actually quite funny. I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, it's been awesome to chat to you. We never even got to really some of the stuff that we've been doing or, 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 or organisation. Uh, well, we've let's, um, let's we kept this as quite an emergent chat, but let's let, Steve, let's uh, yeah, it was awesome. Let's 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 do it a bit more structured next time, and actually, kind of let's have a little bit of a proper chat, and um, we'll work out what you want to talk about. We'll do it so we can actually talk about what you're doing. Let's get that in the diary. I'd like to I'd like to do that. Yeah, yeah man. No, I mean, that would be awesome. Yeah. All right. I'll uh, I'll drop I'll drop you an insight uh, insight in email. Oh, by the way, I've stole Michael. I've stole your your word insight. I've I've got that in my notes. <laughs> well, mate, listen, drop me. We're happy to share anything that we've done. You know, we've got these learning team. If you have a look at my LinkedIn page, team, yeah. you'll see the health and safety policy. That's a cartoon policy, and you'll also the cartoon policy is amazing. That's what I wanted to talk about. Stuff that doesn't work. Okay. Right. So you have a look. At, we've got learning teams there. We've got videos there. We've got like I, I put all that stuff up there just to just to keep me employable, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we obviously done a documentary thing. Just was like Michael wasn't around when they done the documentary, but that was cool. We said daycare and yeah, yeah, and um, guys like Josh Bryant and they're doing some awesome work. They're really yeah. doing crazy stuff. I don't know if you if you had Josh on or whatever, but he's. Not yet. He's on the. He's in the scopes. I will. I will email you both. We're going to get cut off in about ten seconds. So I'll, I'll email you both, and we'll set something else up. But this is. This was cool. I quite enjoyed this. Yeah, it was good, mate. Cheers, gents. Thank you. Have, have a good right. day. See you, mate. Bye, bye. See you, mate. Bye. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. 
it was emergent. I told you it was. I told you it was. Make sure you listen. In a few days' time, I'll be putting out my reflection on this conversation. Just a few notes I've taken. And uh, make sure you check out our two sponsors, Project Miletium. You come and join a call free of charge. If you want, just drop me a DM and I'll sort you out, get you on a weekly community call completely free of charge. And go check out our official sponsor, Paradigm Human Performance and their HSE subscription service. Absolutely perfect for those SME businesses out there. I'll catch you next week, peeps. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson. (laughs) 